All right, one of my uh, major jobs as a father is to comfort my children. All right, and there's times that I have to comfort them for crying when I don't know why they're crying or even why what they're crying over is worth crying over. I, and I've had to do this a lot lately, especially with my daughters. Surprise, surprise on that, right? <laughs> All right my daughters had a friend over, and they were, uh, Hannah has a little pull-out bed, and, and so uh, we pulled it out. We we're going to let this friend sleep over there, and Hadassah really wanted to sleep with them, but some reason, she got kicked out, All right? and so she comes crying into her bedroom, and I had to comfort her as a father. Uh, Naomi, this past week, she uh, was running around and, and somehow slipped on a book that was on the floor. Don't know why it was on the floor, but she slipped on it, and she busted her lip on our coffee table. Uh, it was really bad. She was crying, and I understood why she was crying, because she was in lots of pain, and, and we had to take her and to get uh, glued and stuff. And, and so there's some reasons I understand why it's crying. My boys... <laughs> They can cry sometimes, but sometimes it's not nearly anything like my girls. But it's one of those jobs that I have to do on a regular basis. Uh, there are moments in our lives that we need comfort. Right, we have weariness. Uh, we have uh, life just drags us down. We have loss. We have pain. And we need comfort. And so today I want to kind of look at the ending of the narrative story found in Luke chapter 2. And we want to kind of look and see uh, what uh, it has to say about God's comfort for us. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be Luke chapter 2 today, starting in verse 22. Uh, and we're going to be, uh, it's going to be after the birth of Jesus, but we're going to be talking about uh, this ending to the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, Luke has, up to this point, kind of done a, a parallel, if you will. Uh, they've been uh, paralleling the birth of John to the birth of Jesus. And if you go back and forth the first two chapters, you kind of see it uh, played out. All right? Both of them had angelic visits all right, to their parents. Zechariah uh, was given an angel. Uh, Mary was given an angel. Uh, they both have kind of similar announcements. The angel appears. There's a reaction by the people that they appears to. And then they both say, hey, you're going to have a child, uh, to which both of them are like, how's that going to happen? And then there's given a sign to prove that what the angel says is going to happen. All right, and so one of the signs uh, for Zechariah is that he's not going to be able to speak. And the sign for Mary is that Elizabeth's pregnant. Uh, and so you kind of have both of that, and then uh, you go a little bit further into the story, and you see that John has this uh, birth, uh, you have this joy and excitement, uh, and then there's a miracle associated with the birth, and that miracle is Zechariah can now speak. Amazing that it happens. And then at the end of that, you have a prophetic utterance where Zechariah talks about his son and what is going to happen. Uh, Jesus is similar. All of chapter 2 is dedicated towards the birth of Jesus. Uh, he's given birth. It's not, or no, he's not. I don't know how to say that. All right, he is born, all right, and, and uh, he, uh, uh, that's only like a, the first few verses, and then the rest is about everything that happens as a result of it. You have the angels visit, a miracle, hooray, all right, the shepherds go, and then we get to this last part of chapter 2 where we get a prophetic utterance uh, by 
uh, a guy by the name of Simeon. So let's read that together, uh, and starting in verse 22 through verse 24. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. All right, there's two things going on here, all right, that we have to kind of understand uh, from our Old Testament, okay? Uh, one is, is we're giving a time frame. Luke has done pretty good uh, throughout this story, kind of telling us where we are in the story. All right, we're, we're, we're introduced to when Elizabeth gets pregnant, uh, then Mary gets pregnant six months after that, and then Elizabeth has a baby three months later, and then six months later you got Mary. And so now we're getting another time frame, and it's related to the time of purification. See, the Old Testament and Mo law of Moses had a lot to do with with purification, all right, with purity, uh, with, with ceremonial cleanliness. All right, and so there was a lot of it that you had to follow, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, what you could touch and what you couldn't touch. And a lot of it was health-related issues. All right, and so one of the things that they did is when a woman gave birth, there was a period of time where she was considered ceremonially unclean. And it depended on what the gender of the child was. I don't know why. It just was. If, if they had a male child, it was 40 days that you were ceremonial un unclean. If you had a female child, it was 80 days. Don't know why. All right, this is how it was. And so uh, when we're at the purification for Mary, we know that we are now 40 days after the birth of Jesus. All right, so a month and 10 days have gone by. All right, and, and Mary's going up to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Right, the second thing that's going on here uh, is, is what's called the buyback of the firstborn child. Uh, and, and to understand this, we have to go way back in the Israelites' history. Right, when the Israelites first went into Egypt, uh, they were welcomed there. But later on, a new pharaoh came into power, and he saw all these Hebrew people that were not Egyptians, and he was afraid of them, so he made them slaves. All right, and so the Israelites, for a number of generations, were slaves in Egypt, and they were treated very harshly, and their children uh, were thrown into the Nile River, and there was a lot of bad things happening. And so they cried out to God, and God sent them a deliverer, and the deliverer's name was Moses. And so when Moses came to Egypt, he tried to tell Pharaoh, you need to let our people go. To which Pharaoh, looking at his free uh, labor, says, that's not happening. And so God sends ten plagues. The very last plague is called the plague of the firstborn child. And what happened during this plague is the Israelites took lambs, and they sacrificed the lambs, and they took the blood of the lambs, and they put it on the door frames of their homes. And then the angel of the Lord came into Egypt, and every time it came to a house that had the blood of the lamb over the door frames, it passed over it to go to the next house. And any house that didn't, which were the Egyptian houses, it would go in and take the firstborn child. And it's a very bad plague, a very severe plague, that made all of Egypt say, you guys get out now, all right? And it was kind of the point of it, all right? But two things came from this event. First off, there was a festival, and they called the festival Passover. And every year they would celebrate the Passover because God's angel literally passed over their homes. 
The second thing that happened was what's called the buyback of the firstborn child. Because God spared the firstborn male child of the Israelites, uh, they had to later on buy them back. And so anytime you had a, a male child, it was your firstborn male child, you would go into the temple and you would pay five shekels to the temple as a sacrifice to God. All right, And so that's one of the things that's happening here. Luke kind of jumbles them together. All right, they're going to Jerusalem. It's 40 days, and they're doing both of these at the same time, which makes sense, right? All right just go one time and be done with it. All right, and so that's what they're doing. Uh, they are going to sacrifice for Mary's purification, and they are going to, to buy back Jesus with the five shekels that you're required to do. And what we see in this chapter as this is opening up is the continued faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. All right, Mary and Joseph... They're outstanding people. They are faithful to God, and they are following the laws of God as were given to them in the Old Testament. And Luke makes sure that we understand this in our New Testament reading. Right, this is one thing that I think we have to understand, is that the Old Testament is important in our lives. Yes, we are New Testament people. Yes, we follow the customs of the New Testament. But without understanding the Old Testament, things in the New Testament don't make sense. Right? And, and Mary and Joseph, yes, they're in the New Testament, but they're following Old Testament customs. And this passage right here makes absolutely no sense unless you understand what's happening in the Old Testament. And so you should have the Old Testament in your lives. You should be reading it as part of your devotional life, and it's important. One last thing uh, that Luke does in this opening section is he makes sure that we understand the humble means that Mary and Joseph were in. All right, the sacrifice uh, for purification, the main sacrifice that it was supposed to be was that of a lamb. All right, but notice what Luke says. He says that they instead offered a pair of doves or a pair of pigeons. And so what happens in the Old Testament is the main sacrifice is a lamb. But Moses says, if you cannot afford a lamb, you still need a sacrifice. And so if you can't afford a lamb, then you need to offer two doves, which are cheaper than lambs. And then if you don't even have the money for that, you can offer up two pigeons, which are everywhere and cost nothing. And so this sacrifice was required of all people, no matter if they were, were wealthy or whether they were poor. And so for Luke to point out that it's two doves or two pigeons that are being offered shows us a couple of things. It shows us the humble estate that Mary and Joseph are in. They're not rich. They, they don't even have enough money for a lamb. You know, they, they're offering up two birds, maybe the doves, maybe the pigeons. We're not told Ex, uh, exactly which one, but they're not rich. It also tells us that the story in Matthew where the wise men come and offer up their, uh, their gifts to Jesus probably hasn't happened yet. Because that gift, the money, the gold, the myrrh, the frankincense, that would have been more than enough to cover the expenses of buying a lamb. All right? And so it's probably not taking place. All right, and so we, that just kind of helps us fit in Luke and Matthew as well. So while they're there, while they're offering up these sacrifices, something remarkable happens. Here's what happens. Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon 
who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was, had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went in to the temple courts. So we were introduced to this guy, Simeon, and this entire section of Luke chapter 2 is going to be focused on the devotedness of the people there. All right, so we've already talked about Mary and Joseph and, and them following the Old Testament uh, rules and regulations. And here we meet Simeon, and he's called uh, righteous and devout, all right, which means that he is doing everything that he is supposed to be doing. He is a good guy. He is following it. And, and he's like Zechariah and Elizabeth in many ways. They just use different words to explain them. Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous and blameless, and, and Simeon is righteous and devout. And it, we're told here that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this is, this is unique wording. All right, this is wording that, that we do not always uh, f- use in our language. Consolation means comfort. And, and when we talk about this, what we're usually talking about for the, the, old te- for the uh, uh, first century world is they're talking about something that Isaiah talked about. That when Isaiah talked about the Messiah over and over again, every time he brought up Messiah in his prophecies, he always talked about this consolation this comfort that the Messiah would bring. And so while all of Israel was waiting for the Messiah, we get the feeling that Simeon in particular had an extra special awareness that he was waiting for the Messiah in a different way than other people. He was looking forward to it, and he was waiting for it to happen. And, and because of his devotedness, God said, listen, you're going to get to see the Messiah before you die. What a special blessing. Now, Simeon, we don't know how old he is, but we can probably assume he's gone through a lot in his life. He's probably near death. And he's seen a lot of bad things happen. And, and any time that you need comfort for something, you need it because something bad has happened in your life. All right? Isaiah, when he talks about the consolation that the Messiah is going to bring, it always is associated with desolations that come before that consolation. There's a reason why you need comfort. And and Simeon, he's probably seen a lot of things. The Israelites, for the last 400 years, (coughs) they've seen a lot of bad things. When the last prophet spoke to the Israelites, they were under Persian rule, and that really wasn't too terrible. But you're not ruling yourself, and, and that's not fun. All right? And then after him came Alexander the Great, and he kind of just conquered everything. All right? and, and again, he wasn't too terrible of a ruler. But after he died, his kingdom was split into four, and you had the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, and they actually fought over this land back and forth, back and forth. And so can you imagine having your country fought over again and again? And one of the Seleucids, he, he actually decided that the temple in, in Jerusalem was beautiful and that it was worthy of Zeus. And so he made it the temple of Zeus and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. A pig. An unclean animal. And this just got the Jews to a point where they were like, enough is enough, and they rebelled. But they were successful in ruling themselves for a short period. 
until the Romans came in. And the Romans were even worse than the Seleucids. Right, while the Romans, uh, they, were, they were brought this peace of Rome, all right, but they, they still were harsh to their people. Anybody that was not Roman, you had to pay heavy taxes. All right, and if you tried to rebel, they would bring in their legions, and their legions were far superior than anything else in the world. And time after time, they had crushed rebellion within Judea. And so Simeon, he's probably witnessed all of these things, these, these Roman armies coming in and, and harassing the Jews. And he's waiting for consolation. He's waiting for peace. All right, and so, so he's waiting for all these things. And, and, and there's times in our lives where, where it is rough. Hello, Mr. Jason. It is it's hard. Oh, we got another non-shied one. You want to come up here too? Got it? Oh, there you go. There's your dad. <laughs> You're good. It's always fun to have family Sunday, right? All right, so life sometimes can be rough. And I think sometimes we can understand what Simeon has gone through. He's gone through a lot, and, and he needs this comfort. He needs this consolation. And even though we don't know anything other than his story of looking for this, I think we can also look for comfort in our lives. I mean, we need comforts. When we lose loved ones, we need comfort. When we're going through financial difficulties, we need comfort from somebody that can provide for us. We need this. Well, Simeon, he, uh, we're told that he is moved by the Spirit to go to the temple. In the second part of verse 27, uh, we read that when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, in to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him into his arms and began to praise God, saying, uh, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Uh, sorry. So Simeon is moved, and, and I don't know what, how, you know, but I know that there's times in my life where I'm moved to do something for somebody and later on realize that it's God working in me to, to influence someone else's life. And I think we, if we're in tune to the Spirit, we feel this from time to time. All right, he's moved to go to the Spirit, and he happens to be there the same time that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus uh, to provide the sacrifice that they are supposed to provide. And he takes the baby up into his arms, and do you imagine what's on Mary and Joseph's face at this moment? I, I think they're probably used to it by now right? They, they, they gave birth, they laid him in a manger, and suddenly there were shepherds in the barn with them, right? And, and, and we got this event that's happening. We're going to see a little bit later. Anna does something very similar, all right? And, and so it's very possible that there's other events that are not recorded, so that, that maybe they're used to this by now. 
All right, and so they just come, they take the baby, and woohoo, we're going to praise God. And so Simeon praises God, and he says, the first thing that he says is, take me now. Again, we don't know how old he is, but we probably assume that he's old enough that he's ready for death. My life is complete, is what he says here. I am ready to be taken. And then he says something. He says that this child is God's salvation. And he's recognizing already that this is the Messiah. All right, but does he understand everything? We don't know. He just knows that God is bringing salvation through this child. And then he gives us a fuller picture. Luke, for the most part, uh, to this point, has been focusing on the people of Israel. All right, he's been focusing about the Messiah being Israel's uh, Messiah and Savior. And here we got to get the fuller picture of it all. He says that this child is going to be the light to the Gentiles. So real quick, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so, so you can kind of understand that when we're no longer talking about the Jews, we're talking about the entire world, the nations. He says they are, this child's going to be a light to those nations. These nations, these Gentiles... <laughs> that have no relationship with God. See, the Israelites have spent generations, excuse me, (coughs) these Israelites have had generations uh, encountering God and having a relationship with Him. You know, they have books after books after books that we call the Old Testament, which is God interacting with their people. And so they knew who God was. But the Gentiles, they had no idea. They were walking around in darkness, and they didn't even know that they couldn't see. And so Jesus, he says, is going to be a light to those people who know nothing. But he also says that this is the glory of Israel. Jesus is the culmination of Israel's relationship with God. God, when he first started interacting with Abraham, his promise was the world will be blessed through you. And all the way through, from Abraham until now, till till Mary, he's been working and talking to them, saying, you guys are going to bless the world. You guys are going to be a light. You guys are going to do these things. And Jesus is it. Jesus is that fulfillment of their relationship. And we see in this prophecy of Simeon that Jesus is not just a Messiah or a consolation to Israel. He is the Messiah to the world and a comfort for all. When we need comfort in our life, we find it in Jesus. When we need help to get through to the next day, we find it in Jesus. Uh, That's not all that happens here. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph. And he gives some final words here. He says, this child is going to call fall, cause falling and rising in Israel. And these are tough words if we think about them. Jesus is going to cause the falling of people. 
See, oftentimes we associate Jesus with peace, and, and yes, uh, Jesus brings peace. We see that earlier in Luke 2 when the angels say peace to men whom his favor rests. Jesus, yes, is going to bring peace, but there's more to it than that. See, peace isn't always peaches and cream. And I think we really have to redefine what we think of peace and what we think of comfort. Because Jesus, when he comes, he brings division. We see it. Those who claim Jesus is the Messiah and those who want nothing to do with Jesus. And there's division. And Jesus has broken homes. There are many in the world who, when they accept Jesus, they know that they are being ostracized by their family as a result of it. So maybe it's not peace with mankind. I don't think the Bible ever says anything about world peace. I think there's going to be wars and desolations, and they're just going to keep going because we're sinners. But I think peace and comfort that we really get in Jesus is a peace with the only thing that matters, and that's God. And we get peace and comfort in our relationship with him because as sinners, there's enmity between us and God. And Jesus stands in that gap and he brings comfort. And so Simeon, he recognizes this. And he says, Jesus, your child, is going to cause many in Israel to fall. And there are many in Israel who were priests and high up in society, and they did not like Jesus at all. And when Jesus came, he changed up their understanding of what was right and what was wrong, and he challenged their beliefs to the point where they could not accept him. And they fell in the eyes of God. And then we get these people who are low in society. And what we see from Jesus coming into their lives is that they're raised up. These these disciples who were not the cream of the crop, who end up being the leaders of the church after Jesus leaves. Jesus brings rising and falling. And Jesus, he says, is going to be a contention point for many. How true are these words, even to this day, where Jesus causes division. And it's unfortunate to think of it that way, but it happens. Those who claim Jesus as Messiah live a different lifestyle than those who don't. And people that live different lifestyles, they're going to clash. And we need to be aware of this. The uh, ending to this uh, story comes uh, starting in verse 36. Uh, Simeon's already talked to Mary and Joseph and about Jesus. And the story ends with the prophetess Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, Jerusalem. We uh, meet this lady, Anna. Uh, we're not, again, we don't know much about her story other than what's told here. She was married for seven years, then her husband died, and then she did not remarry after that, uh, which would have been very virtuous of her. I, 
more than likely she was in her mid-20s when he died, and now she's 84. So maybe 60 years of being a widow. And we're told that she is a prophetess, which is very unique, uh, but we're told that she's at the temple day and night, which just means she's always there. Anytime the doors are open, she's there. And she was faithful to God, and she followed him and was devoted towards him. Again, the devotedness of these people in this story. And when she sees Jesus, she starts to praise God and tell everybody about him. The story ends with Mary and Joseph returning home, and Jesus raising up uh, in wisdom and strength of the Lord. What I want you guys to get from this last part of the birth narrative, according to Luke, is that Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our consolation. This consolation that, uh, that, that Simeon was looking for, the, the rescue that Anna was waiting for, Jesus was it. And they went out and they told people about this peace that they could have. And if you're here today and you do not have that peace, if you do not have the comfort that Jesus can bring in your life, why don't you accept him today? Will you pray with me? Father God, we're grateful for Jesus and his comfort that he provides, the consolation he gives, the peace that we have with you because of him. And Father God, I, I pray that in our lives we can examine and see where we need your comfort. I pray, God, that we can be blessed by Jesus that he came to bring about this peace, not necessarily world peace, but peace with you. Father God, in our lives, I pray that we can be blessed by that. Help us, Father, to, to find comfort in you when we need you. When life is tough, when life is difficult, when we're having troubles with, with our family, when we're having troubles with our work, when we're having troubles uh, just going to the next day, I pray that we can rely wholly on Jesus. Thank you, God, for sending him.